the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. I'm Kerry Hammond and this episode of the podcast is called Plugging the Protein Gap. For more information and resources on plugging the protein gap or to get involved in the conversation, please visit our website at faz.scot or follow us on social media. In today's podcast, I'm going to be sitting down with two consultants from SAC Consulting, Kerry Ritchie and Alistair Trail. They both work in the food and drink industry and are up to date with what's happening in terms of trends and the influences of alternative proteins. Then later in the podcast, I'll be sitting down with two chefs, Mark Barker, a chef lecturer, and Morag Hamilton, a new product development chef and restaurateur, to get their industry take on what's happening with alternative proteins. So I think the main trend that is supporting the growth of alternative protein products is the rise of the non-meat eaters. According to research carried out by Finder.com, currently around 14% of adults, which is about 7.2 million people in the UK, are following a meat-free diet. That includes the vegetarians, vegans and pescatarians. Approximately 3 million people in the UK, that's 6%, follow the vegetarian diet, which is currently the most common of the non-meat diets. Which I think is, is, is amazing. There's Further, 12% of the population tend to become vegetarian, vegan or pescatarian in 2022. They're really big numbers, aren't they? It's fascinating, the change in the marketplace. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's one of the other fascinating facts I came across was that half a million Brits actually gave up meat in 2020. So that's maybe one of the impacts of of the COVID-19, people really trying to look after themselves. Wow. Um, And 33% of meat eaters say they're trying to reduce their meat consumption. Cranky. So what, what are these reasons for eating less meat? Well, from a non-meat eater's perspective, the reasons they give is, is animal welfare, health, and the environment. And from a meat eater's perspective, we see it's health, weight management, and again, the environment. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? That incre- increased awareness of environmental impacts of the meat industry seems to be sort of playing a bit of a role here. It does. Does. I did a bit of research before trying to get some some interesting facts and um, some of the things I came across was that the UN says meat and dairy, which is farm livestock, accounts for 14.5% of all the man-made greenhouse gas emissions. That's roughly equivalent to the emissions of all the transports, that's every car, train, ship and aircraft on the planet. Some research I came across at the University of Oxford found that eating a vegan diet could be the single biggest way to reduce your environmental impact on the planet. The study found that cutting meat and dairy products from your diet could reduce an individual's carbon footprint by up to 73%. Crikey, that's that's a high number. Yes, and also a recent study by US government's environmental working group found that on average, producing one kilogram of beef produces approximately 27 kilos of carbon dioxide equivalent, while one kilogram of beans and tofu only produce two kilograms of CO2 equivalent. And we're seeing increased interest in net zero and carbon footprints of products and the willingness of consumers to change their diet to help reduce their environmental impact. 
we, you're right, actually. We've, we have seen increased coverage, haven't we, in the news about this and, and about meat and about the impact. And uh, it's interesting you, you're referring back to this research because, you know, when you just hear it on the news, you don't know how, how, how the details behind it. We're also seeing a number of other food trends that are leading to the consumers to look for alternative proteins. These include uh, gut health and digestive wellness. Uh, consumers are looking for natural and functional foods including non-dairy milks, non-dairy ice creams that can help digestion. We're also seeing businesses developing the next generation of healthy products that include things like probiotics, fermented foods, and natural fiber products. We're also seeing the rise of functional convenience. They're seeing a real demand for plant-based proteins in the snack market, and that's going beyond the standard protein bars. Another, another trend I'm seeing, and one that I'm interested in at the moment, is the trend for less and, and more. Uh, less is more when it comes to sugar and sugar reduction. With consumers focused on weight management, we are seeing a rise in high protein and low sugar diets. And there's a real opportunity for plant-based proteins to meet this growing demand. Wow, there's so much going on. And, you know, it's it's always been a busy market, a dynamic market, but it feels like it's kind of really sort of started to fly. So kind of what, what are the products that we're seeing on the market? Yeah, we're, we're seeing a, a lot of new products on the market. Uh, the first area that I'm really interested in is the snacking and mini meals market. Uh, we're seeing the rise of convenient or what we're calling snackified vegetables and plant-based protein products. This area is a great opportunity for businesses as consumers are really willing to pay a premium for healthy snack products. The meat alternative market is the greatest opportunity for new product innovation. The global meat alternative market is set for exceptional growth. In the coming years, supermarket shelves, as you can probably see, are filling up with an increased abundance of vegan products. And for some consumers, vegan meat replacements can make the transition to veganism easier as individuals work with products and cooking instructions that they are familiar with. Just to give you some background, in 2019, the global meat alternatives market was valued at 4.5 billion US dollars, but it's anticipated to reach over 7 billion dollars by 2025. This is exceptional growth with the value of the category anticipated to nearly double in six years. That's huge figures there, Alistair. It is. It's, a, it's an amazing opportunity for businesses looking at this area. On the, on the basis for products, tofu and texture vegetable protein, soy meat, dominate the market. And these hold approximately 80% of the market share in 2020. Mycoprotein, corn, along with seitan, tempeh, soy products, and others account for the remaining 20% of this industry. These currently hold a smaller market share, but their niche appeal and exciting product innovation within the category can attract shoppers' attention, and the potential for market growth in this area is huge. The meat substitute market is the fastest growing category in both retail and food service channels in the UK, with UK food service seeing 11.5% growth in meat substitutes, and retail showing a 10% growth in the last year alone. Recent growth in this sector has been seen in the development of lab-based food, things like the Impossible Burger and the Beyond Burger and Future Farm Burger, which these mainly consist of either wheat, pea or potato proteins. One company doing well in this area is Daring Foods. They produce a range of red meat, chicken and fish alternatives, which are composed of very few ingredients, namely wheat protein, potato protein and a variety of spices. They have recently reached an agreement with Breaks, which allows dairy products to be made available to all 9,000 Break customers, which includes 
hotels, schools, pubs and restaurants. So you're really finding these products now in the mainstream. It's not just about meat replacement products though. We're seeing recent campaigns from supermarkets in the UK, including Sainsbury's, encouraging consumers to add plant proteins, including peas and beans, to reduce meat content in home cooking. The supermarkets offer recipes to help customers incorporate meat reduction into their diets. This includes some fantastic things like broccoli frittata, a kale filo pie, pea pesto pasta, and a beetroot burger, which really sounds delicious. The final area I wanted to mention is fish and seafood. We could see real big growth in shelf-stable and frozen alternative seafood products in 2022. Alternative protein demand is likely to continue to outpace supply. We expect growth in ingredients and equipment manufacturing, production and processing capacity, contract manufacturing and workforce development. We also expect to see large growth in infrastructure investment and as alternative protein manufacturing invest in equipment and facilities to expand production and capacity. So I think it's an exciting time for this for this market. When it comes to alternative protein products, what are the things businesses need to think about in terms of getting their product from idea to market? Yeah, I mean, irrespective of the sector, there are sort of some key things that any business needs to think about. But specifically thinking about this sector, it's such an innovative sector. It's such a dynamic sector. You know, people are going to have to really be on their toes and mindful of everything that's going on and keep up to pace um, with with, uh, the competition and what's ahead of them. I mean, because that links, you know, the first thing a business needs to do is really understand its market. And and the the idea, the, the product idea has to be relevant. You know, there's got to be consumer demand. If the product is not required, there's no point in developing it. So it's it's understanding that consumer demand and what drives it. You know, and that's you know, you've you've mentioned already concerns for the planet and sustainability and the the the, the requirement and the growth in in um, the the need for plant based diets, whether that be vegan, vegetarian, flexitarian, or reducitarian. You know that that whole piece, and you've like you've you've mentioned their functional wellness. So by a, a company understanding what the consumer's looking for and what's driving consumer behaviour, then then that's the key thing the business needs to to be aware of and keep on top of. You know we've seen things um, coming in from the pandemic about life well lived and people being more mindful about what they're doing, looking for stress free and health, and you know all these things can impact upon these um, alternative protein products. So it's really important for the business to keep on top of and research that market, but keep looking at it, keep listening, keep researching. The market's dynamic, and also part of that is understanding the competition. You know, really getting to grips with, well, actually, I'm not just competing with the same products. I'm actually competing with other meal solutions, with other snacking alternatives and really being quite open minded about the competition. So that's the first thing and the main thing I would say. The, the, the second thing is really be able to articulate your product proposition, especially in a, in a sector like this one. It's quite complicated and it's quite innovative and it, it can be really technical. Really, you've got to get to grips with why someone wants to buy your product. What's the story? What's unique about it? You know, why would somebody buy your product and really be able to encapsulate this? So when you're talking you mentioned there to breaks but when you're talking to any customer whether that be a wholesaler a retailer directly to the consuming public you've got to be able to articulate your product with enough hooks that will will um, stimulate their demand 
be able to talk about the product in terms of the consumer to those potential retailers or wholesalers or, or distributors. Um, not technical speak, but think about what's important. And you need to invest in your products. You know, these are new products. People don't understand them. So there's a lot of investment, not only in time, uh, in, in getting into this marketplace and getting that shelf space or getting onto the menu, but actually that might be samples, there might be promotions and that whole piece about really getting out there and shouting about your products to communicate at many levels, whether that's to the consumer, to the customer, to the distributor, you've got to be able to communicate about your product. Obviously, the other thing we should probably think about is that actually over 90% of new products fail in their first two years. So for any producers listening, give yourself the best shot you can. Research your market, understand your market, articulate your product and your product's offering and get it right the first time. Is there anything around the sort of growing proteins in Scotland? I mean, is that straightforward? No, I think that'd be one of the potential issues moving forward. Uh, and they'll probably affect the growth of the sector in Scotland as there's a lack of alternative protein crops grown in Scotland for human consumption. The climate in Scotland is much more suited for growing crops for animal feed. And the majority of crops grown for human consumption in the UK are actually grown in the south of England. One company which is supplying pulses, grains and flour for British farm, from British farms for the alternative protein markets is Hodmedods. As well, supplying traditional legumes and grains, they also supply British-grown chickpeas and quinoa. But there's also research going on to develop new alternative protein crops in Scotland. My colleagues in SRUC, in partnership with the Railway Institute for Nutrition and Health, have been investigating opportunities for growing and developing products using the potato bean, the fava bean, buckwheat and even hemp. So I think the alternative protein market is also a huge opportunity for, for British and Scottish farmers. We're seeing the rise of the flexitarian diet, where consumers are looking for higher quality meat where they, they eat less regularly. So they're keen to understand more about how the, the meat is reared, what about the farms, the provenance and the excellent uh, animal welfare standards that we have in this country. I couldn't agree more. And I think as part of that is that opportunity to to grasp, you know, to understand the market, to potentially diversify into some of these alternative products. But if not to diversify, to make new connections with um, the supply chain and to, to, as you say, build on the quality, the local uh, aspects and understand those consumer trends that are driving consumption. We're joined by Mark Barker, a chef with a lifelong passion for food and drink. Well, hi, Kerry. My name's Mark Barker. I'm, I'm a chef with a passion, for, as Kerry said, a passion for food and drink. I've been a chef. I've worked in the, in the hospitality industry, in professional kitchens. Oh, God, for coming up for 40 odd years, over 40 years now. Um, I started my career in, in in London at the Dorchester Hotel. I've worked across Europe. I've worked in the States. I've worked in the Far East and the Middle East. I've run the operation at the Scottish Parliament. I've run a large resort properties such as the Belfry and the Old Course Hotel. Um, I've managed huge kitchen brigades. I've, I've worked at the very top end, you know, at the Michelin star AA rosette level. I've, I've, I've won awards. I've won culinary Olympic titles, you name it. And like most chefs, I had a very 
low opinion, <laughs> disdain, not low opinion, disdain for those that were were um, vegetarian or plant-based as they've now become. Um, and about, I joined SRUC seven years, seven, eight years ago, um, and my role was split between teaching and product development. Um, and I, once I, I'd started to understand more about food trends and the way it was going, um, which really got me into alternative proteins and the fact that we, we need to change. So from becoming a skeptic that, that we needed to, you know, I'm, I was a carnivore. <laughs> I'm a man. I, you know, fire, cook meat, eat meat, see meat, hunter, gatherer. It, it's changed, you know. I mean, we were eating plants and nuts and seeds long before we were eating meat. And maybe kind of the wheel is is turning full circle. So I'm, I'm a passionate believer in now that, that we need to change. I'm a, I'm a convert. I, I, I firmly believe that we need to change, fundamentally change the way we um, produce food, the way we cook food and the way we eat food. It's, it's not a trend, as, as somebody once said. It's, it's becoming a genre now. Um, people want to have a plant-based diet for, for several reasons. One, it, it's really good for the environment. It's really good for your, for your health. Um, they want to know what's in their food, which is kind of perverse really with, with plant-based, but I'll, I'll come on to that, that later. Um, people want alternative proteins and they want plant-based products to be able to replicate what animal proteins do. So it, it's no longer good enough for it to be plant-based. So it doesn't quite taste as good. It's got to taste as good and behave the same way as an animal-based protein would. So I've seen a lot of that. Certainly in, in, in the development world that I do, people want it want to eat healthier they want less fats less sugars um everybody's looking for a plant-based alternative to their product so i mean i think also plant-based needs to become more mainstream as well um it, it needs a lot more investment in it um to be able to use plant-based proteins will require a lot more work on on being able to 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 develop plant-based proteins, to develop the way they work. It's worth remembering that the plant-based proteins don't react in the same way as animal-based proteins do. Um, they don't gelatinize the same. They don't emulsify. They don't foam. They're, they're completely different. So they require a lot more functional ingredients going into them. They require a lot more development and they take a, a lot more time. I mean, you, you're going to come up with a plant-based burger. If you look at the, the ultimate burger people in the States. I mean, it took them five years and millions of dollars to be able to get to where they've got to now. So it, it's it's at its infancy, but it's certainly a growth area. Um, and alternative proteins are, are, are just growing and growing and growing. Um, looking at it now, uh, I see that the next big area is being in, in, in meat, alternative meats, cultured meats, whether that's using fermentation, uh, whether that's um, cultivating directly from the from the stem cells, whether that's looking at uh, precision fermentation, um, or whether it's looking at, at, at other developments, um, other areas, um, looking at at um, I said biomass is, is another way. Again, there's a really a company in Scotland called I think I believe it's called Enough, and they produced a biomass which they're using to turn into alternative chicken products. But again, it, it's all in its infancy, and it requires a lot more research and a lot more 
time and, and money spent on it. I mean, I was, I was reading somewhere the other day that we spend trillions of pounds or billions of pounds on, on alternative energy, but I think it was 350 million on alternative proteins. I mean, going, going forward, you know, become by 2050, we're not going to be able to feed ourselves on meat. So we've got to look at alternative ways of, 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 of feeding ourselves and alternative proteins are, are, are the, I believe, are the, are the answer to it. So not only alternative meats, but alternative cheeses and yogurts I see as well. Um, again, there's a company down south called the Fomagerie, where it's, you know, it's always thought in the past that, that vegetarian cheeses were a bit, you could get one type, which is either, which was rubber. You, you could bounce it on the floor. Now they're developing these vegetarian cheeses that, that are as good or nearly as good as the stuff you can get off off the off the fromage cow, off the as the fresh animal based cheeses, um, so that they're making great great progress in it. But there's there's so much more work to do, and it requires a lot of time as well. Uh, it it's it's interesting field to get into. I've got to admit, when I first started doing the development work with SIUC oh god seven eight years ago I, I, I was pretty much like like most chefs I, I didn't have a lot of time for for the plant-based diet I, I didn't have a lot of time for alternative proteins but it's something that the more I've got into it the more I've realized how important it is and, and I think to realize that it's no longer a, a trend it's becoming a genre it's becoming a fact of our life is, is that we've got to we've got, we've got to move down that that route uh, we're going to have to. So again, that there's plenty of scope and plenty of companies want to develop and want want to ex- expand this market and expand on on their product product range. Like I said, drivers, consumer interest in health, um, ethics. You know, the ethic, animal welfare, uh, food provenance. What what's in it? Which also kind of got me with with plant based because when you do look at a lot of these plant-based products um, using plant-based proteins you have to put a lot of other ingredients to be able to make them behave the same way as an animal protein so if you're designing a a plant-based milk we did a a, an oat milk product a while ago about a year and a half ago was asked to develop an oat milk product so besides we're using oat milk and water sounds really good but then we had to put flavorings in it then we had to put stabilizers in it then we had to put something in to stop it from separating an emulsifier then we had to put a sweetener in it but then we had to make sure the sweetener was an unrefined sweetener so it requires and then we also had to put a fat in it because milk has fat in it so it it requires a lot of work so i think going forward is it's trying to make the plant-based or the alternative proteins cleaner label as well so there's less amount of processing in it um which will take time and it's but it, it, it can be done um when I was looking at this, I was asked to, to contribute to this podcast. I did quite a bit of research and we were looking at, at plant-based diets. And, and you know, in, in the Middle East, the 50% of their diet they get from of animal protein or protein intake, they get from dairy and eggs. You know, in China, they get 50% of their protein intake from pork. You know, whereas in, you know, the Asian and Pacific area, most of the protein comes from legumes and seafood. You know, and we're the same. We have about, we get about 50, 45 to 50% of our protein from an animal source. So it, it's changing the whole, the whole culture, the whole way we do things. So, but, and to do that, I go back to the beginning where you've got to consumer drivers, consumers want plant-based products now to be as good as 
the animal, their animal-based counterparts. So they don't want to be able to taste the difference. Um, so if I'm eating a plant, you're eating a plant-based burger, you want it to be as good as your, your ground beef burger. You know, it's, it's got to have all the same characteristics. And that takes time and, and that takes effort. And it's, it's, as a development chef, it's, it's kind of fun to do as well. Um, I find it really interesting. It, it, it's a challenge, you know, which is part of what being a development chef is. It's, it's getting all the little pieces of a jigsaw. So, it, so when, when a client will say, you know, I want you to, to make a, a yogurt for me, but it's got to be plant-based, you know, where, where do you start? How, how do you start? Where do you go? Well, you find out what's in a no, normal yogurt, and then you try and replicate those, those ingredients. So it, it, it's, it's a challenge. It's interesting. And it's, it's, it is a growing market, as we keep saying, you know, alternative proteins are, are here to here to stay. Um, at the moment, in, it, we're using a lot of pea protein. So pea protein seems to be the way to go because it's 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 more environmental friendly. It's more sustainable than 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 soya. Um, the only problem is, is once you extract the protein from the, the pea, you've, you've, you only get 40 percent from of every kilo is is protein 60 percent is starch so you need to find something to use the starch for um another source of potential plant protein is is seaweed um and i like seaweed i do i've done a lot of work with seaweed i, I love seaweed i think seaweed's got great potential the only problem you have with seaweed again is the sensory perception of it um once you can move that move away from that sensory perception um which is a taste and the smell of seaweed um, again, you've got another viable source. Um, it, it's a very innovative sector, plant protein, very, very innovative sector. So, I mean, it, it's, it's looking at, first of all, you're looking at taste, you're looking at texture, and you're looking at the overall sensory experience. So does it smell, taste, and behave as a normal animal protein would? Um there may another way forward is maybe by combining plant proteins. I talked about this this fromagery uh, company down south who who are developing artisan plant based cheeses, um, and they use they combine different animal based and sorry different plant based proteins. So they'll use nuts or they might use use a fungus or. Um, and then they inject it with to get a blue cheese. They'll inject it with penicillins. They'll treat it almost the same way you would do if you were manufacturing a, an animal-based cheese. So that's, that's it's really really interesting. But it's in its infancy, um, and it's still still growing. I'm at the moment. I'm really into to these alternative meats. I've been a lot, doing a lot of research and a lot of um, looking at alternative meats because obviously it's it's a hot subject at the moment with the the COP26 going on and our, our diets and how our diets are affecting the planet. Again, so, I mean, there's a company based in Israel called Redefine Meat who have doing, they're a cultivated meat. So what they have is they've man man managed to um, identify a blend of different plant proteins, mainly pea-based. Um, so they have one, you have one container of pea-based. They then have a fat which they've because obviously the flavor for meat comes from fat so they generate this from coconut oil and then they look at color and color obviously meat is red so this is a red dye and it's got vitamin b12 in because vitamin b12 gives you that irony taste you get in meat um and they have the three little plastic files that they put into a 3d printer and then they 3d print meat you know i mean really really exciting and with they're almost at the stage now where they can replicate whole 
meet muscle, which I think is is fantastic. It kind of just opens opens a whole door to things. Um, there's also, we said, cultivated meat, meat produced directly from stem cells. Um, again, fascinating thing to see. I mean, not something I could, I'm not a scientist, I'm, I'm, I'm a chef, but from a chef's point of view, it's, it's fascinating to see how these products work and, and the tests and the feedback you're getting is, is it's as good as, as the real stuff. But at the moment, because it's in its infancy, it's really, really expensive. Again, it needs, it needs time and it needs research and investment in it. Um, Again, we've also done work with looking at egg replacements as well. So again, we, we've helped develop egg replacements using legumes. And again, that's that's a growing market. There are eggs out there, uh, egg replacement products out there. Some of them are made from mung beans with protein and turmeric and oil in there. And again, a lot of other ingredients such as potassium citrate and soy lecithin in there, again, to, to make it behave the same way an egg, an egg would. Um, Plant-based yogurts, I believe, is an area that's going to grow. I believe that's an area that could really, really take off. Um, but it's, it's worth remembering with plant-based yogurts is plant-based yogurts usually contain about 12 times more sweetener than normal yogurt. Um, I said cheese. Cheese is another growth area of, I feel that, that that will take off. But it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's just, just incredible to see the way, certainly in the last five years, um, the way plant-based has, has taken off and alternative proteins are really, really exploding in, in the market. Whenever there's change, whenever, whenever society, whenever the world needs to change, there's always reticence, there's always people, and I can understand why farmers are upset, and I, I can understand why, but, but the harsh fact is, is that we, we have to change. You know, we, we, we environmentally, we have to change. You know, for, for the sake of the planet, we need to change the way we do things. We have to change the way we, we, we breed meat, the way we consume proteins, the way we use animal proteins. Now, did you know that over half a million new plant-based products were launched last, last year? So it, it, it's not going away. So, so I hope farmers will embrace this. And as, as a chef, I've, I've certainly embraced it. I've certainly understood the need that I have to change. I have to change the way I, I view food. Um, and like anybody else, you know, we, we have a meat-free day at home. Um, and I, I, I firmly believe that within three to five years, you'll have alternative protein items on the menu that will just sit alongside the regular dishes. They, they won't be highlighted. They won't be any different. They won't be put in a little box or put to one side or have a big asterisk to it or just sit in with, with your normal food. Because it is normal food. It, 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 it's far healthier for you. It's far better for you. And the more we invest in developing these plant-based proteins, the better they're going to get and the more acceptable they're going to be. Finally, we sat down with Morag Hamilton, chef, owner, entrepreneur at the Vineleaf Restaurant in St. Andrews. Morag is also a new product development chef. I am a new product development chef with SAC Consulting. I'm also a restaurateur, an entrepreneur and a healthy lifestyle coach. I'm interested in all aspects of food and nutrition and living a healthy lifestyle. So in my restaurant, I cook healthy vegetarian food, uh, wild game and seafood um, dishes. Um, I also coach 
um, adults and children in triathlon skills, um, cycling, running, open water swimming, and all the things that go together to make a healthy, whole, rounded, happy individual. Nutrition is hugely important and protein obviously plays a very important part in muscle building. Um, so if you are working up towards a race, you will want to be building your muscles. Um, and as a lot of people are aware now, many top athletes are actually using plant-based based proteins as their only source of protein. I'm interested to hear from, from you specifically about alternative proteins. So you work as a new product development chef. You've mentioned that you, you, know, you love to work with game and you love to work with seafood. What other alternative protein products have you come across in your line of work? Well, alternative proteins are big news right now. Um, but while they are big news, they are not new. Um, for thousands of years, communities um, have been using um, high protein food products made from plants, fungus and insect ingredients. And I think we can learn a lot from these ancient cultures. For example, fermentation has been used for centuries to increase nutritional content and preserve raw ingredients, especially in Asian countries. Um, so yes, I've been working on a few things like that for um, clients of SEC Consulting at the moment. Yeah, I've been working on some tempeh, which is an Indonesian soya product. Um, it's got a very long history and it is now considered a superfood with a whopping 15 grams of protein per 100 grams. Um, if you compare that to meat, which has approximately 25% protein, it's it really is getting there. It's made with uh, soya beans and mycelium, which break down the soya beans and add extra protein and also preserve the soya beans. It has involved using um, products grown in Britain to replace the soya beans so we can have a British um, tempeh, uh, which has been very exciting and a little bit smelly sometimes. I've worked on some nut cheeses. Um, again, without giving too much away, um, my client uh, approached us with a nut-based a nut cheese that she wanted to augment to have, to encourage to have a more cheesy flavor. Um, we worked on this and we included seaweed in this product and we involved some fermenting, um, which gave a much more rounded product and a much more tangy taste. Um, because I think the biggest issue with nut-based cheeses is they can be a bit bland, a bit ricotta-ish rather than cheese-like. And the commercial ones that you buy quite often are just a concoction of chemicals and processed ingredients. So um, I think, the fungal world has been a little bit neglected in this. Um, in mainstream um, protein substitutes, um, if you look at your common garden mushroom, it has a reasonable amount of protein. It's not a huge amount of protein, uh, but it has to have a reasonable amount of protein. But the thing that works in the mushroom's favour is that it is readily consumable by 
everyone. Everyone likes a mushroom. You know, it's not something completely novel that's going to put your carnivore off. Uh, the other great thing about the mushroom is that um, it has taste, it has texture, and it has colour very similar to meat. And it brings that umami or the fifth flavour sense to a plant-based product that can emulate a meat product. So I think in the restaurant business, it's quite easy to substitute um, meat products with things involving mushrooms. So mushrooms in your nut roast make it more like, um, say, a bridey. My restaurant in particular, because we specialise in seafood, game and vegetarian, we get huge numbers of customers coming in because one of their parties are vegetarian. But then you find that perhaps two or three of the other guests will try the vegetarian option because we make extremely interesting vegetarian food. And they think, oh, actually, we're not just coming to a vegetarian restaurant. I do have the choice. I could have a meat starter but I could try the veg one of the vegetarian main courses. So I think more people are experimenting with vegetarian and vegan food. Um, when we first opened the restaurant many years ago, I would say 15% of our dishes sold were vegetarian. Um, and I would go as far as to say that now we have between 20 and 40% of the dishes um, consumed are vegan or vegetarian. Yeah, um, in conclusion, um, I think that there are huge opportunities out there for Scottish farmers in particular. Uh, we have an amazing uh, growing season. Um, there are many things that have never been grown in Britain before that we can now grow in Britain. Um, for example, quinoa, chia seeds. These are all high protein seeds and cereals that can be used to make new novel uh, vegan products. Um, I've, we've already seen the diversification into oat milks, which again is a high protein product. Um, I think if farmers are able to look up and see what's happening in the rest of the world and adapt, which a lot of them are already doing, adapt what they're doing to fit in with this, I think there's huge possibilities out there. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Advisory Service podcast. If you would like to find out more, please visit our website at www.faz.scot or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Faz Scott. <laughs>